0: My name is Eric, it's my privilege to be with you here this evening. Are you glad to be here? I hope that you are. And if you join us by Facebook Live, welcome. It's good uh, to have you with us. Well, I was surprised when they asked me, frankly, uh, to do this, Um, but it's a privilege to be here anyway. And um, I want to start tonight by talking or describing two scenes, two scenes, all right? Scene number one, scene number one. It was 1978. I was in my house in San Jose, California. And my older brother had come home from a concert. And he excitedly told me about this Christian musician that he had heard. And uh, this guy, this musician's name was Keith Green. My brother was just positively bubbling uh, with ex- energy and excitement about this guy. And he, and he said, Yes, Eric, he's, he's a good singer, but he preaches. And he goes, and, and it was like listening to an Old Testament prophet. I was like, Okay. And my brother had clearly been impacted by this guy, but at that time, you know, my brother was trying to be a real Christian, and at that time, I was trying to be a fake Christian. Um, In fact, I was self-centered and self-absorbed, and I was simply pretending to be a Christian. And so as I listened to my brother and his excitement about this Old Testament prophet, I just shrugged my shoulders and walked away. Scene number two, it is the 25th of July, 1982, Santa Cruz, California. I can still remember the spot where I was standing at Redwood Camp uh, where I was working as a volunteer counselor when I got the news that Keith Green had died in a small airplane crash in Texas. Uh, I was shocked, I was stunned, I was disbelieving, my hero, was dead, how could this be? I went and found a grove of trees in a quiet spot and just wept and told God how upset I was that this had happened. Two scenes, are they different? Yes, they are. Well, what made the difference in those four years that had gone by? Well, a bit less than a year after scene number one, Jesus had dramatically gotten a hold of my life uh, in in, in really quite an unexpected way. And I had this almost insatiable hunger for God. All I wanted to do was spend time with God and get to know him. Maybe that's happened or is happening for some of you. And in those early days, someone uh, put me on to this music by this guy, Keith Green. And, um, you know, what was unique and different about Keith's music was every time I listened to it, I felt like God would just kind of open me up and do spiritual surgery, right? Now, you might not think that's a good thing, but uh, I thought it was a good thing um, because without fail, every time when I listened to his music, I'd be impacted by the Holy Spirit. And I would feel like um, someone was pouring Holy Spirit conviction and power into me. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, well, Keith's music was not designed to make you feel good. It wasn't. It was designed to confront you with a holy God who expects holiness or spiritual purity from the people who claim to be his. And uh, during Keith's life, he released four albums. Um, And the last two that are shown here were released by his ministry called Last Days Ministries. So for him who has ears to hear, no compromise, Do you want to go back to Egypt, songs for the shepherd, the prodigal son, Jesus commands us to go. And a range of other albums and singles, they were released in the years uh, afterwards. And and by the way, my favorite album was Songs for the Shepherd. Anybody here like that album? Okay, no hands going up. Sorry about that. All right. Well, some of us here may have some some favorite songs, Uh, Your Love Broke Through. Uh, you put this love in my heart, asleep in the light, make my life a prayer to you. And there were many others. Some of Keith's songs ended up being sung uh, around the world. And to this day, there's at least two songs that are still sung. One's called, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful. And one's called, There is a Redeemer. All right, well listen, it's important to remember some context. So I want to give you some context, okay? In the late 1970s and the early 1980s, the contemporary Christian music scene uh, was very different than it is today. It was very new and and pretty basic, frankly. Yes, there were musicians and bands, uh, but the music was not technology-driven and shaped like it is today, all right? In the late 70s and early 80s, contemporary Christian music, it was fresh, it was raw, um, and people were trying to convey a very clear Christian message, by and large. And Keith's, Keith Green's presence on the Christian scene was not like listening to uh, Phil Kage or Randy Stonehill, who were two well-known singers at that time. But rather it was like listening to John the Baptist. Um, yeah, it, it, it really was. Um, You know and this video I'm going to show you will give you an idea of what I mean. It's from a concert It's in Estes Park. Uh, It's in 1978 and no, my brother was not there It's just a little short clip and the video is a bit grainy All right, and the colors and the clothing and the hair definitely look 70s. Okay, so here we go. We'll see. Oh, there's my song
1: This next song is uh but definitely a song (laughs) it's interesting Uh, do you know a lot of Christians feel like uh, if they give their once once a week to the Lord they're doing real well especially if they go every week it's kind of like visiting a friend in jail you know like once a week on Sundays you know visiting hours hi Lord how, how are you doing Lord are they treating you okay in here? <laughs> Is the food all right, Lord? We're working on getting you out <laughs> soon. You know, and then they, you I remember, never I'll never forget the first. I'll never forget the first time I wrote out my first tithe check. It was kind of like. And satan came and told me you still got 90% left I went yeah 90% for me <laughs> the Lord goes for who oh hi Lord well that's kind of a joint account <laughs> tell you what I won't make any heavenly decisions you don't spend any of my money <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but you see um. Uh, I was, I was sitting around one day, and I had this melody, and I just taught a Bible study on, uh, remember Saul, the king in the Old Testament? God told him to do something and he did half of it, he patted himself on the back and gave the other half to the Lord as a sacrifice. The Lord said, I don't want your sacrifice, I want your obedience.
2: And I hear you say that I'm coming back soon. But you act like I'll never return.
0: Actually, we're going to stop there. Sorry about that. All right. There you go. Did you catch that? To obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your what? I want your life. And that was God speaking through Keith to a whole generation of people. In fact, God used Keith and his music to speak to thousands, hundreds of thousands uh, of young people. And to this day, Keith is regarded as one of the most, if not the most, influential prophetic voice of his day. And yet it was a completely unexpected event that made Keith even more of an influence but we're going to come to that in just a moment. So who was this Keith Green character, anyways? Well, I'm going to give you a really quick sketch of his life. Keith was born in 1953 in New York, near Brooklyn. His mom had been a singer with some big bands, his dad a school teacher. His mom came from a Jewish family, and his dad came from a Christian science background. So go figure that one out, all right? But before he was two years old, his mom said, Keith would sing his baby songs and he had perfect pitch. And a year later, his family moved to California and they settled into a new development, kind of near Hollywood, and that was gonna be an important part, very significant part of Keith's future, uh, because Keith's parents made sure that he learned to play the guitar and the piano at a young age, all right? And he liked the piano best, but he got bored playing long classical pieces. Can anybody relate to that? Yeah, there's a few people, yes. But his grandfather, his grandfather had started a thing called Jaguar Records, and believe it or not, they, had, they were the very first rock and roll label. Can you believe that? And his grandfather taught Keith how to play chords on the piano, and that was the end of Keith's classical music career right there. Uh, because from that moment, Keith began writing and singing his own songs. How old was he? He was six years old. Can you believe it? And when Keith was 11 years old, he signed a recording contract with Decca Records, uh, singing his own songs. In fact, he was, and still to this day, the youngest artist to ever write, uh, to sign a professional contract with ASCAP, the American Society of Composers and Professionals. Can you believe that? And he was being groomed to become this teen pop star. All right? And... um, the Justin Bieber's day, in fact, he was, he was actually competing with Donnie Osmond, believe it or not. Those of you that know Donnie Osmond in that era, yeah. And uh, he had a single, and he was being promoted. And really, the industry didn't know how to deal with Keith because he was just so young. They didn't know how to, how to market him. And Keith was really disappointed when he was 14 years old. He felt like a total failure. Imagine being 14 and feeling like a total failure, um, that he was like a has-been because he'd been groomed to be a pop star. When he was 15, he ran away from home for the first time. He started a journal on the day that he ran away from home so that he could start exploring his own journey. And he was looking for adventure and spiritual truth, and so he wrote it down in his journal. In his childhood, Keith had learned the Jewish religion, and he also grew up reading the New Testament, believe it or not. But he called it a confusing combination, which it is, that left him deeply unsatisfied. Uh, his journey led him to drugs, Eastern mysticism, and free love, which there was a lot of that that time in California. When Keith was 19, he met a fellow seeker and musician named Melody. And they were inseparable and they got married a year later. Now he had a partner on his um, spiritual quest Uh, and his musical quest, really. And then when he'd nearly given up all hope, Keith finally found what he'd been looking for. Some friends invited him to a Bible study at a a small church that was called a Vineyard Church in Los Angeles, and it was there that he was introduced to Jesus. And what happened? Jesus just transformed his life, changed him. It It was just like this revolution. He was 21 years old, and he never looked back. And he and Melody, they opened their house to anybody, uh, people that wanted to quit drugs or get off the street or to change their life. And kind of this community kind of developed around them. And not only did his life take a radical turn, but he was a highly skilled musician and songwriter. And so guess what happened to his songs? They all changed. And his songs became about Jesus and how Jesus was changing his life. And his quest for stardom, it ended And now his songs just reflected the thrill of finding and knowing Jesus. And he became famous, for those of us who remember him, for his spiritual zeal and intensity. And this often made people really uncomfortable, uh, but Keith was focused on obeying God's call on his life and just following Jesus to however he felt God leading him. Now, I want to show you another clip where he's on this Canadian TV show. And the Canadian TV show... Is is aimed kind of at at church kids, kind of like kids that um, have grown up in church.
1: There you are. I'm I'm gonna talk for a, a second. Can, I bet you got the keyboard. There. there you are. Hi. Um, I really believe there's a there's a lot of church kids watching today. Uh, you know, if you're home and, and you're oh, let's, you know, my mother won't let me watch Leave It to Beaver, so I turned on 100 Huntley Street and uh. And, and here we are, and, and you're watching me, and you're going, where'd that guy get that hair from? I mean, didn't he wash his face today? And, and you're going, I've, I've never, I've, I've never, I never, I didn't think that people could go to heaven that looked like that, you know? And uh, the Lord gave me a song about what it meant to be a Christian. And I just really want to share this with you because I know that you've been turned off a lot by the hypocrisy around you. And I want to let you know that Jesus Christ is no hypocrite. I might be ashamed of what people have done in his name. I might be ashamed of even what his people have done sometimes. But I've never been ashamed of Jesus. And, and he wants you to meet him.
2: No compromise, I want to shine the light you gave Through your Son, you sent to save us From ourselves and our despair It comforts me to know you're really
0: there Here we go. right. did you catch that? Make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words, no white lies, no token prayers, no compromise. That really summed up his life, because Keith was so passionate about holiness and, and just following God, for what, no matter what, what, what it would cost, all right? Complete obedience. In fact, listen to what, what he said one time here. He said this, I repent of ever having recorded one single song, or ever having performed one concert, if my music, and more importantly, my life, has not provoked you into godly jealousy or to sell out more completely to Jesus. All right? And Keith's songs, they were often birthed out of his own spiritual struggles. He, when he, when he, he might point the finger at, of hypocrisy at Christians or the church, but he had these fingers pointing back at him, and he was acutely aware of that. Well, Keith wanted his albums to deeply touch people. And so he asked his, his fans, his followers, if they would pray and intercede as albums were being recorded. And so thousands of people would pray as his albums were being made. And I was fortunate to be one of those people. I don't know, maybe someone else here uh, where you, you, you responded to the call to do that. And it was what contributed to this powerful supernatural anointing that would be on Keith's music. Well, the radical commitment that Keith preached was also the kind of faith he wanted his own life to display. An example of this was seen in the decisions that Keith made about charging for his concerts and about his albums. With his albums at the top of the industry charts, Keith decided to give his albums away for whatever people could afford. Imagine that. Even for free. Keith's heart was to make sure that those who could not afford to buy his music could buy it. This was before the days of digital download, folks. All right? And Keith and Melody, they felt, his wife Melody, felt their music was a ministry. It was a message that needed to get out. They didn't want anyone to miss out through through lack of funds. And at one point, over 200,000 of his albums got to prisons, or the poor, uh, just completely free of charge. It's pretty amazing. Well, Keith then decided to do the same thing with his concerts, which he felt were nights of ministry. So he decided his concerts would be free. So anyone who wanted to come could come. Well, imagine that, uh, being able to come to a concert at no cost, and the Lord had taken Keith from concerts of 20 people up to now stadiums of 12,000 people, and Keith would give altar calls to Jesus, invite people to come, And if there was hundreds of people, and then there were thousands of people that came to know Jesus through his ministry. Or people would recommit their lives to Jesus at his concerts. And I'm just curious, anybody here that you heard Keith live or you were impacted by his music? Let me see a a few hands. There's a few hands here of people who were impacted by his music. All right, well, Keith had his childhood dream of becoming a superstar. It was cleansed from his heart because now God was using him as a servant of God, to impact people. And that was far, far better than what he had thought when he was much younger and thought his life was over at 14 years old, all right? Well, listen, his ministry, Last Day's Ministries, aside from creating and issuing the albums, they had these tracks that they would would, would issue, print, and, and give out to anybody who wanted them, all right? And they were amazing tracks. They were tracks... They talked about forgiveness and repentance and about Jesus, how to come to know Jesus. And some Youth With a Mission friends and I, we one time got so excited about these tracts, uh, we ordered 3,000 of them. And we, uh, we took them with us, and we passed them out in Hawaii and all throughout the South Pacific, in fact, uh, which is a whole nother story. All right? Well, listen, in 1982, Keith and his wife Melody, they decided to take a trip to Europe, and their hearts are really stirred by what they saw there. They visited a youth with a mission ministry in Amsterdam, and they just they couldn't believe what they saw with open drug use and just the absence of churches wherever they went. And God just kind of broke their heart about the spiritual darkness that was there in Europe. And Keith asked every mission leader uh, that he came across what he and his wife Melody could do. And every mission leader said, listen, we just need people Can you please call people to come and and help us? And so Keith decided that in 1982, in his fall tour, that he would challenge the Christians in America to get out of their comfort and to go, all right? And reach a world of hurting and lost people. So that was this whole new passion that, that was in Keith's heart. And so last day's ministries, they booked large venues all across the USA, in fact, parts of Canada, uh, for a fall tour that was starting in September of that year. But then, the unthinkable happened. Uh, on July 28, 1982, there was this crash that I referred to uh, that was a small uh, Cessna on their ranch in East Texas, and Keith died. His three-year-old son, Josiah, his two-year-old daughter, Bethany, also killed was a pilot and a family of six people, an entire family was also on the plane. It was this unbelievable, terrible tragedy. And Melody was at home with their one-year-old daughter, Rebecca, and also she was six weeks pregnant with another child, um, their fourth child. Keith was only 28 years old. Can you believe it? He was only 28. And I remember hearing Winky Prattney talk one time. Winky's a Kiwi man who some of you may not know and some of you might know. And Winky talked about how that he thinks Keith Green accomplished in his short life more than seven people do in their in their lifetimes, because of his passion and zeal for God. Well, I want you to listen to Melody Green talking about the plane crash. Uh, the
3: plane crashed. Uh, we had. We had company coming over, and they had promised their kids an airplane ride. I just remember that day, it was like unusually hot, and Keith came running down, you know, just busting through the doors, going, hey, we're gonna go up in the plane now, you know, and he wanted me to come with him. I said, no, I don't wanna go. You know, you guys go and see when you get back. And then Keith and I had this really odd conversation out of nowhere. Well, if I don't come back, he said, "Um, raise Rebecca to be a woman of God. And I said, well, okay. And so then I started thinking, well, you know, I'm pregnant. So I said, well, if you don't come back, if I have a boy, do you want me to name him after you? Suddenly I had to know that. And he goes, no, it's fine, you don't need to. And and so they just drove off. It wasn't that much longer that I got a phone call from our secretary. And she said, Melody, the plane went down and I didn't know what it meant. The plane went down. Does it mean they're just sort of tipped over somewhere? Or what, you know, what does that mean? And I just started driving up to the airstrip, and when I got up, I could see that everybody was running across the field, because we had a lot of people there then. I got to the site of the of the crash, and I've, I was just like running through the woods. I didn't know where I was going. There, they, they were unclear, you know, East Texas woods. And I was standing there, realizing that they were just gone. And I I remember I walked up to the airplane, and I remember the Lord just stopping me, just saying, don't look. What do you want to see? You know, what do you want to remember? And I just kind of turned and, and walked away. The tragedy instantly
0: claimed the lives of 12 people. The entire Smalley family, John, Dee Dee, and their six children perished alongside Keith, Josiah, Bethany, and ministry pilot Don Burmeister. Keith was only 28 when he died.
3: You know, two of my children died with Keith also. And it's a different loss. Each was devastating, but for me, you know, to lose a husband and then lose children it was very hard. Melody, in the stunned last days community, struggled to comprehend the loss.
0: When I got that phone call, it plunged me into grief.
3: And I remember when Keith had, had died, and other half the people were saying, oh, it was the Lord. And half the people were saying, oh, the enemy did this. And I said, you know what? It was an accident.
0: But even as they grieved, they began to consider how God might turn this tragedy to his glory.
3: I was afraid suddenly to be single and alone, a single mom, and I heard this phrase drop into my mind, grain of wheat. I got a Bible and found the grain of wheat scripture, and it says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. He fell to the ground. He was a grain of wheat, but his life was going to bear much fruit.
0: All right. Thank you. Listen, Keith's death shocked the Christian world at that time, you guys. Um, anybody who knew what was happening, uh, we, we, it was just un, un, inconceivable that this could happen, that God would cut short someone's life who was so influential for him. Well, his wife, Melody, who you just saw, she had a real practical decision to make. They had all these concerts planned. And, you know, what what did they do with the concerts? She consulted her, her friends. She, she prayed and waited on God. And... When, when they were in this in-between time, she got a phone call from a man who had been in, in Southern California, and Keith's, uh, one of Keith's last concerts, and the man, had, it, in prayer that morning, God told him to go and video the concert, and he didn't know why. But just in obedience, he set up his camera gear, he was a professional that recorded concerts, that's what he did for an occupation, and he recorded. And in fact, that was going to be the last concert recording that they would have of Keith. So he got a hold of Melody and said, listen, I've got this, this, this video, this, this footage. And so Melody decided to come up with these things called Keith Green Memorial Concerts at these venues that were already booked. You follow? And so people turned out in their thousands at these concerts. And she had Lauren Cunningham, the founder of Youth with a Mission there, and some other mission leaders, because Keith was so passionate about world mission at that point. And um, so Keith would sing, and then Lauren Cunningham uh, or Floyd McClung would give a message and a call to mission. So they went ahead and did these concerts, uh, But they sh- and they showed a video of Keith playing, like in that concert a month before, and showing his passion. And then Lauren Cunningham came out uh, and spoke and, and brought a challenge. And you guys, it was just an incredible time. And this is where my life intersected with this whole thing, because... Um, in the same month that Keith Green died, I was called by God to join Youth With A Mission in Hawaii. You might think, oh, of Hawaii, well of course, I mean, everybody gets called to Hawaii, right? Um, but as a matter of fact, it's true. I, I was in California in a prayer time, and I felt God specifically told me to, to go to um, Kailua Kona and join Youth With A Mission there. And so I went um, out of obedience uh, about a year later. And the guy who was our director, He was friends with Lauren Cunningham, and Lauren had asked him to organize all the practical logistical aspects of this thing called the Keith Green Memorial Concert Tour. All right? And then, uh, that was in 1982, 1983. And then, in early 1984, my friend Dave, who was this organizer, asked me to travel with him across the United States and Canada. All right? And so when we got to the Canada part, and we were speaking at churches, it was a follow-up tour from the Keith Green Memorial Concert Tour, but at churches that were interested in mission. And so with the Canada part, we drove from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean, and we spoke uh, at every major city in Canada, All right, and, um, and did a call for, for world mission. Well, when we got to Eastern Canada, the Youth with a Mission director there, he came to our team and said, you know, we never got to have the Keith Green Memorial Concert Tour, here in Eastern Canada, would you guys run it for us? And we were like, "Would we run it for you? We were just like these punk kids. You know what I mean? We're like 19 and 20 and 21. We're like, "Sure, we'll run it for you." Um, and so he just did all the organizing, and then we helped run these big events, and we ran the video that Melody Green had supplied, um, which was this footage of Keith. And we got to have the privilege. of of seeing hundreds and then thousands of young people come to these meetings in Eastern Canada and hear a call to world mission. And you guys, it was just, talk about full circle for myself because I'd been so touched by his music years, years earlier. I now find myself up front and people are streaming up front as God's touching them and drawing them to himself in whatever he was doing in their life. It was just this most immense privilege. And I'm so grateful uh, for that time. And in fact, that's why I'm in New Zealand, because Keith brought this call to not stay at home, but to go. And his call was, if God hasn't called you to stay, then he's called you to go, all <laughs> right? If you remember that, yeah. And, um, and, I, and I agreed with that. I felt God said to me, Eric, I do, you're not gonna stay in the United States like one more day kind of thing. And it's time for you to go. Um, And and so that was part of my going like a year later after Keith died when I was in Hawaii I met some New Zealanders of all people and uh, and God ended up bringing me here to this country um, As part of his big divine plan So God called me here as a young single man uh, in direct response to this challenge That was brought to myself and many many other people through this guy Keith Green. Isn't that something? Yeah, and, and so I, I'm, I'm a beneficiary of his actual ministry and partly why I'm standing here today, which is actually very, very humbling. And so you know, my challenge to you is that Jesus calls us to follow him, doesn't he? He calls us to follow him wherever he might lead us. And that begins with us obeying the very next thing that, that he calls us to do. And so I have a question for you. What is Jesus saying to you Right this moment, what's he saying to you? What is he saying? Because that's how we find God's will for our life. God's will for our is not this big, gigantic thing that's out there as this mystery. His will, actually, is that we just simply obey the next thing the he asks us to do. And as we obey and we obey and we obey, God just steadily starts to unfold this path in front of us in terms of his will for our life. That's been my story and the story of many, many other people. In fact, one day, Darlene Cunningham, who's the co-founder of Youth with a Mission, I had the privilege of driving her um, to the airport one day in Hawaii. And I thought, I've got this moment with this amazing person. Um, I'm going to ask her a question. Darlene, what advice would you have for someone who's young and starting out? What do you think she said? She said, Eric, people make Christianity really complicated, but actually it's quite simple. Um, Lauren and I have always followed a pattern, and that is we we ask Jesus, what is he saying to us? And we just try and obey the next thing that he tells us to do. And that's what we do. That's how we've lived our life. And she said, so why don't you do that? And I was like, okay. I was quiet the rest of the drive. Um, um, Yeah, there we go. And so that's my question to you. What what is Jesus saying to you? What's he showing you to do? Because... Um, Jesus commands us to go he commands us to go and go might mean going across the street it might mean going across town it might mean going across you know the ocean but that's his call to us so why don't we just stop for a moment and let's pray and wait on him in fact let's stand up let's stand up and in a moment I'm going to invite the band to come out Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the risen Savior and Lord, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you that you're worthy of our all. Lord, we were singing earlier and hearing this beautiful song that reminds us about who you are and your death on the cross for each one of us in our place. And Lord, we just say thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to come out. While they're coming out, let's just close our eyes and wait. Jesus, what is it that you might be saying to us tonight? Us who are here, or maybe someone who's following on us on Facebook live. Jesus, we acknowledge that you're worthy of our all. You are worthy of our all. Anyone here agree with that? Yeah, there's a few people that agree with that. Jesus, you are worthy of our all. And so, Lord, what is it that you're saying to us? Now, my challenge to you is that whatever Jesus is saying to you, just determine in your heart to obey that voice, to obey what it is that he's just showing you as, as the next thing. Might be something small, maybe not. Thank you, guys.